Thank you. Well, my name is George Brown, and I get to be the director of college and connections here at Phoenix Bible Church. And I am so honored and privileged to be here this morning sharing about the person and character and life of Esther as we continue in our Broken People, Big God series this summer. As we continue to think about this series, Broken People, Big God, I want to begin with a question for everybody, a question to think about. And that question is, have you ever found yourself waiting? Have you ever found yourself at somebody else's mercy, on somebody else's timeline, and in somebody else's way? Have you found yourself waiting, expecting, and maybe frustrated? I'm going to tell you a little story of waiting, and maybe it'll resonate with you. It's a story about hiking on Devil's Bridge in Sedona. Devil's Bridge hike is my wife, Sheree, and I. It's our favorite hike to take people as they come to Arizona to visit us in Phoenix. We take them up to Sedona, to Devil's Bridge, to show off the beauty of Arizona, to say, hey, there's way more than cactus, dirt, and desert, like everybody thinks Arizona is. There is an amazing creation out there, and the Red Rocks of Sedona is one of our favorite ways to show off. But when you go up to Devil's Bridge, it looks like that. It's an amazing destination, a great picture, but the hike is a little bit challenging, or at least it's challenging for me. Maybe it's not challenging for you, but there's a lot of steep incline and hikes and twists and turns. And as you go up there, there's about three or four different times when you, when you think you're there, when you think you've arrived and you're going around this corner, you're going up an incline, you're struggling, you're sweating. If you're me, you're trying to catch your breath and you get there and then there's more trail, there's more hike, there's more to go. And one of the sad things is one of the times we were there, one of our first times on that hike, there was a family there that was struggling. They're from out of town. They weren't prepared for the heat. They hadn't brought water and they were there at that third time when you think you're almost there. I'm overhearing a conversation with them, and I don't want to intervene. I don't want to be rude, but they end up deciding, hey, let's take some pictures here where we are, and let's call it quits. Let's go back to the trail, go back to where we came from. Little known to them, and I wish I would have known, because it was one of our first times there, there was just one more little incline, one more little push, and they would have gotten there, and they would have gotten that picture that would get them at least 10 likes on Instagram, all right? They would have experienced that glory, the wonder of God's creation, but instead, they couldn't see what was ahead. It's not like Camelback Mountain or Grand Canyon where you can look up or down and say, that's where I'm going. One of the tricky parts of Devil's Bridge is you can't quite see what's around the corner. And as frustrating as that is on Devil's Bridge hike, that's fine. It's fun. But as I come before you today, I know that can be the case in our spiritual lives in our spiritual journey. So many times we get frustrated. We're waiting and we can't see what's ahead. We can't see what's coming and what's in store. And that's where I think that we might get encouraged from the story of Esther here today. See, in the Christian life, we all have seasons or moments of waiting. And if we're honest with ourselves, maybe seasons or moments or times of frustration, wanting to know what's ahead, wanting to know what's coming, And the the scary part of that reality is just like that family at Devil's Bridge, I don't know if they came from Flagstaff or if they came all the way from New York City, but they were so close to experiencing the glory that was awaiting them. See, my, my worry and my fears in our Christian life as we get frustrated, as we might be disenfranchised with the church, or we might be disenfranchised with God, if we're honest, my fear 
is that we could turn around, pack up, and go home and miss out on what's in store. See, Esther has a unique story for us because that's right where Esther finds herself. If we look at the story of Esther, it's a book where it doesn't mention God one time. There's not a big time where God comes and parts the Red Sea or a big time where God rains down manna from heaven. See, people have said that Esther is the godless book that takes place right in the middle of God's book. But as we read this story, and as you read it and you look at it, God is working and moving all throughout. And so my challenge to us today is maybe we find ourselves in a season like Esther found herself. Maybe you find yourself in a season where you're saying, George, I haven't seen God part a Red Sea. I haven't seen God rain down manna from heaven. I'm waiting and I'm frustrated. And maybe you're disenfranchised. And I want to encourage you that you can have faith like Esther. The book of Esther is fascinating. It only takes 30 minutes to read from start to finish. And it's interesting. There's humor, there's ups, there's downs, there's twists, there's turns. And you can read it for yourself. You'll find out it does not mention the name of God one time. And if you read the story of Esther or before we dive into the story of Esther today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys two ways not to read the book of Esther. All right, the first way not to read the book of Esther is it's not a Hobby Lobby motivational sign. All right, we all know the mug or the sign or the poster that says for such a time as this. All right, that's encouraging and it's true, but Esther is not cookie cutter, clean cut. It's actually very gritty. It's very dirty. It's very challenging. When we start to read the story of Esther, we find Esther living in a situation where both of her parents have died. She's living in a foreign land, being raised by a cousin. And she's trying to trust in a God that she has neither seen nor felt directly. It's difficult. It's not as cookie cutter and clean cut as a Hobby Lobby sign on Clarence. It's also not a prosperity plan. It's easy to look at the story of Esther and look at the way it ends, look at the way she went from being an orphan to a queen and think, this is my roadmap. This is my story to go from rags to riches, right? It's not a story of prosperity, but it is a story of hope. As we get ready to look at Esther's story, I want you to know not that it will happen every time. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, hey, if you put your faith in God, you're going to get what you want. But I am going to tell you that if you, if you put your faith in God, you are going to be surprised at what can happen. So it's not a Hobby Lobby motivational sign. It's not a prosperity plan as well. When we're looking at Esther today, I'm going to zoom in on a specific conversation that Esther has. We're going to be in Esther chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. We're going to zoom in on this pivotal moment in Esther's life. As we go to Esther chapter 4, I want to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background as what has led up to this point. See, God has been entering in covenant relationships with his people, with his community, with the Israelites. And time and time again, through different experiences and decisions that may be more than questionable, God's people continue to break their end of the covenant. They continue to break their end of the covenant, of the promise. And God brings judgment in different ways. And a lot of our Old Testament, a lot of this story that we read, is prophets coming to God's people and saying, you are guilty of breaking the covenant. And because you're guilty, judgment is coming. But if you repent, 
judgment can be avoided, right? And so we see in 597, judgment comes in the form of the Babylonian empire of big, bad King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then King Nebuchadnezzar gets replaced and overtaken by King Cyrus in the Persian empire. And that's where we find ourselves. And we see in this specific story, King Xerxes ruling in this town, in this city, and he's kind of a, a guy that is quite literally drunken with power. The story starts out, and there's a feast that's lasting 180 days. And this king has probably had one or a hundred too many drinks. And he's making crazy decisions, flippant decisions, and he ends up asking for his wife to come and show off her beauty. And she declines. And because of that, the king's advisors all get together and say, listen, king, if word gets out women might start disrespecting their husbands left and right because your wife did that to you. So he says, all right, I'm going to get rid of that wife. He holds a beauty pageant. He finds a new wife, and that is Esther, an orphan who has come from a foreign land and is living in Persia. And she finds herself quite quickly taken from being an orphan into the palace. And on top of that, if that's not drama enough, the king has this right-hand man named Haman, and Haman is also eager for power and taking every chance he can get to have power. And he makes a rule that he wants everybody to bow down to him. Esther's cousin that raised her, he says he's not going to bow down to Haman. Haman's upset about that, and maybe his natural or unnatural response is he says, I not only want to kill that man, but I'm going to kill his entire race. So he says, hey, find that Mordecai guy, find out what, where is he from, what are his people. He makes a decree to kill, to annihilate, to have genocide, because he's upset. Okay, and this is where we find ourselves. Mordecai and Esther are wrestling in the situation where genocide is on the horizon. I want us to zoom in on this pivotal moment because there's something that we can learn here. Esther chooses faith over feelings. When we zoom in on, in on this conversation, when we look at what Esther says, we're going to see Esther choose faith over feelings. I'm hoping that same thing could be true of us, that someday people will say, George chose faith over feelings, or Phoenix Bible Church chose faith over feelings. In a season, in a moment where Esther may not have seen God move and work in a big and mighty way, she chose to have faith instead of what she was feeling. So we're going to look at this conversation in verses 12 to 17. It says, And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered. And fast forward Esther's actions 
saves the Jewish people. But I want you to look at these specific words that Esther said. If I perish, perish, I perish. That's faith, right? That is strong, bold, and convicted faith. And that's faith that she is choosing with reasonable expectation that God will move and work. That's the kind of faith that Paul writes about in Romans. Faith is a type of faith that's not a blind leap. Faith isn't a decision we make after we get to the end of our logic or reason. Faith is something that you put your full weight in. You go all in on, in something or someone. And that's exactly what Esther does here. And as we look at Esther's decision, as we look at her all-in commitment to God, I'm going to suggest that there's three ways that she did this. There's a way that she prepared for it, there's a way that she encounters it, and there's a way that she responds. And I'm hoping these three clues can help us out as a church, as people of faith, to have faith instead of feelings. And the first one is to remember the stories of God. Remember the stories of God. If we turn back just a few pages at the way that Esther starts out, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, I want to read the start of the story for us. I want you to pay attention to Esther's family and where she came from. It says this, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer and son of Shammai, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Guys, did you catch that? Do you realize how significant that is? It's okay if you didn't. I didn't at first either. But Mordecai's great-grandpa is named Kish, and he's carried into exile with, from the Babylonians with Jehoiachin, right? As we hear the name of Jehoiachin, if we look and see where he takes place in Israel's history, it connects to the rest of our Bible, right? These are real people with real stories, with real lineages. King Jehoiachin is the king in Jeremiah 22, and he's warned of a coming exile. King Jehoiachin, and by default, Mordecai's great-grandpa Kish, would have been part of the audience of Jeremiah 29. Have you guys heard that verse before? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? That would have been the audience that was hearing that from Jeremiah. But even more than Jeremiah 29, 11, which we all know and love, is instructions that God gives to his people for how they're supposed to live in exile. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Right, I think these are the truths that Mordecai would have been teaching Esther as she grew up. And not only these truths, but also stories of heroes like Daniel would have taken place in the Babylonian exile. Daniel in the lion's den 
or Daniel and the fiery furnace. These were the stories that Esther would have grown up hearing in exile of a man named Daniel and his friends who did not bow to King Nebuchadnezzar, who had faith in God even to the point of nearly experiencing death in a fiery furnace, yet came out untouched. Those are the heroes. Those are the stories that Esther would have grown up hearing. And I know what you're thinking, George, is that a stretch? It doesn't say, verse 3, Mordecai told Esther about Daniel. But my answer to you is no, I don't think it is a stretch because I've grown up hearing stories of my great-grandparents. I know this Christmas, I'm going to hear a story that comes up every Christmas of my great-grandpa. And for one Christmas, more than anything, he wanted a bicycle. All his friends, all the cool kids had bikes, and he really, really, really wanted a bike. He even was expecting a bike as he got ready for Christmas, telling my great-great-grandpa about all the good things that would come of having a bike and how cool he would be and how great it would be. Christmas morning came. He unwrapped all his presents. There was no bike. He opened up one present, and it was a 22 rifle. He was confused. He went to my great-great-grandpa and said, I don't understand. Like, it wasn't financial. We clearly could have afforded a bike. And my great-great-grandpa said to him, yes, but having a bike would be too dangerous. All right? I know that's a story that we will hear every Christmas. And more than that, on the other side of my family, we have heroes that we look up to of my great-great-grandma who came to this country from Norway through Ellis Island and set roots in North Dakota and started a new life, raising three kids. And her third kid, my nana... Her husband passed away when she was pregnant with her third kid, and that didn't stop her. She raised three kids by herself and ran a farm without running water in a new country. That's a tough lady, right? These are stories that we hear of where we come from and where we're going. And if in 2023 in Phoenix, Arizona, if I'm hearing stories of my great-grandparents and we have Netflix and phones and a new app called Threads and a million different ways to distract us, How much more would Esther have heard these stories? So as we look at her faith, as we see her respond, as we see her lean in with full confidence and say, if I perish, I perish, I can't help but imagine that the stories of Daniel, the instructions of Jeremiah, would have been at the top of her mind. All of this to say, if we want to have faith like Esther, if we want to lean into God with such confidence, the first thing we need to do is to remember the stories of God. Remember the stories of God. Remind yourself the story of God. Remind your kids the story of God. Remind your grandkids the story of God. And better yet, remind your great-grandkids of the stories of God. And not just the stories in the Bible. Tell them those. Tell them the stories of the Bible. But don't stop there. Tell them the stories in your own life. Of how have you seen God move and work in your life. Remember the story of God. Why do we do this? I want to bring up a quick quote from one of my favorite pastors and authors named Eugene Peterson. I can't get up here and not share something from him. I can't help it, but he says this, we are embarrassingly forgetful of the God who saves us and easily distracted from the God who is with us. 
Did you hear that this morning? We are embarrassingly forgetful of the God who saves us and easily distracted from the God who is with us. As we recognize that, as we know that we are so forgetful and so distracted, we need to remember the story of God. And because of Esther's faith in God, she got to participate in the story of God. So that's my second, my second point for us today. If we want to have a faith like Esther, if we want to lean in like Esther did, we need to participate in the story of God. Esther finds herself right in the middle of our story, right in between Abraham and Jesus. I don't know if you realize how significant it is what Haman was trying to do in annihilating the Jewish people and wiping out the Jewish race. That would have made our Bible a lot shorter, all right? I don't want to give too many spoilers, but the Jewish race produced a guy named Jesus, and Jesus came and saved all of humanity, okay? That was a big deal. It was more than just Esther, more than Mordecai. There was a lot at stake. And I want us to look at verse 14. I want us to look at what Mordecai says to Esther. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. God is sovereign. God is in control. He is moving and working. If we don't step in, somebody else will. I think God is bigger than Haman. I'm not standing up here today to tell you he actually had the potential to cut our Bible short. God would have saved the Jewish people in another way from another person. But Mordecai's challenge to Esther is so real for us today. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Right? The beauty of this is that God does not need us. It's humbling, but it's true. God does not need us, but he does use us. And so my question for you today, if you can hear my voice, is what opportunity do you uniquely have to be used by God? And what ways could you uniquely use your time your talent, your treasure, to be a part of God's story. If you want to participate in God's story, I'm going to give you one quick switch that you can do. First thing you need to do is to stop writing your story and saying, here, God, here's my story. Okay, how do you fit in it? All right, God, here's my story. Maybe you can fit here on Sunday morning, or maybe you can fit here Okay, stop. Well, we won't do that, okay? If we want to participate in God's story, we get to start asking the question, God, show me your story and reveal to me my part in it. Okay, stop saying, God, here's my story. Where do you fit in it? And start asking the question, God, show me your story and reveal to me my place in it. What opportunities do we have in Phoenix, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our world, that if we don't step up, if we don't step in, somebody else will. Selfishly, I want us to be a part of God's work. It's an amazing thing to get a front row seat to see what God is doing. I think first a vacation Bible school, right? Or kids ministry at Phoenix Bible Church. Danica and her team are relentless. They will find their volunteers. You know that. But how special would it be if you get to be that volunteer, 
if you get to have that moment, that light bulb switch where Jesus and his work on the cross becomes a reality for one of our little disciples? How special would that be if you get the chance to pray with a first grader as they place their faith in Jesus Christ? If you don't, somebody else will. But selfishly, I want to be a part of it, don't you? We want to be a part of what God is doing and working. Two other opportunities, both locally in our city. Feed My Starving Children. We took our college and young adult students a few weeks back to Feed My Starving Children, where they have an amazing mission of turning hunger into hope and getting as many meals as they can into hungry children and communities around the world. And if we didn't pack those meals, I'm sure somebody else would, but we got to be part of it. And it was fun. And on top of that, if you go to Feed My Starving Children, you might see Phoenix Bible's own Lexi Lyles working there and helping you pack your meals. Another opportunity is as we participate in God's story at this chapter in God's story, our part is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The cool part of that is the nations have come here into Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know if you realize that, but there's a ministry called Go 10, where they are working with the refugee population in Phoenix, Arizona to go tell every nation, the nations have come here. There are literally unreached people groups in our city. You don't have to take a plane or a bus or a boat to get to them. You could walk, right? Go 10's headquarters is at 19th Avenue in Camelback. You could be a part of God's story in that way. And for each one of those ministries, I know there's a dozen more that we could be a part of. I say all that today not to come up here and say, go do good things. There's so many good things we could do. I come up here today to tell you, go do God's thing, right? We don't need to go do good thing, good thing, good thing. Our world's been doing that. It's still not going great, if you haven't noticed. But we need to go do God's thing, to be a part of the story that God is writing now. God's story prevails. There are no accidents. Esther reveals to us the truth of Romans 8, 28. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want us to look at the way that Esther responds to God and his work. Look at Esther chapter 9, verses 20 to 22. It says this, Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who are in the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days of sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Right? They, they chose a holiday. They made a feast. In fact, Esther makes the only feast that's not given instructions in the Torah. Right? Esther made the feast of Purim, or Purim, I think is how you say it. And Jewish people still celebrate that to this day. They get together wearing costumes and kind of have a carnival atmosphere. And every time the name of Haman is named in the book of Esther, they either boo or have a rattle to blot out the name of Haman. They have fun with it. They tell the story of God in a light 
way, right? A serious story, but they don't take themselves too seriously. They rejoice in what God has done. So as we see God move, as we see him work, I would encourage you to share the story of God. Share it with each other in community groups. Share it in your Sunday school classes. As we scatter as Christians of Phoenix Bible Church, we get to gather together. And one of the reasons we gather is to share stories of how God has moved and worked in our lives. We sang a song called, Come Thou Fount, and there's a line in it called, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, right? And Ebenezer is a stone of remembrance. In the Old Testament, there's a moment where God saves the people of God, and they put up a stone of remembrance to look back and remember the day that God saved them from their enemies. I would encourage us, make Ebenezers, make reminders in our lives of how we've seen God work. As we remember the story of God, we are forced to participate in the story of God. I don't know if you've been around Phoenix Bible Church long, but we say something a lot and we say love moves, right? As we remember the story of God in the biggest way possible, God provided in providing his son, a perfect and sinless sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. And the Bible reminds us if we confess with our sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and any unrighteousness. In the biggest way possible, God has provided for you and for me. And as we remember that story, we can't help but respond in love to those around us. We can't help but participate in the story of God and share the story of God. As we wrap up today's message, I have good news for you guys. The good news is that God's willing and working does not rely on our acknowledgement It does not rely on our understanding. And even better yet, it does not rely on how clear we are on God's purposes. In spite of us, God continues to work in and around us. Our job is to see where and jump in on the action. The good news is that whether we feel it or understand it, whether we actively remember or we forget, God has worked and is working as the biggest way possible, he has done so in the life, death, and resurrection of his son. Whether we are distracted or doubtful, God has done it. I don't want to miss out on being a part of God's story, and I don't want you to lose an opportunity of seeing God's saving grace at work. I don't want you to overlook the chance to be used by God. So whether you feel it, whether you see God, whether you hear God or not, I want to encourage you to have that same faith as Esther, to lean in full force, all in, to remember the story of God, to participate in the story of God, and to share the story of God. I'm going to leave us with one quote from C.S. Lewis. Once upon a time in class, they said it's not a good sermon unless you quote C.S. Lewis. So, Here it is. It's a good sermon, if anybody asks you later. I want to leave you with this quote. Continue seeking God with seriousness. If he was not wanting you, you would not be wanting him. I want to read that one more time for you. Continue seeking God with seriousness. If he was not wanting you, you would not be wanting him. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the story of Esther.
God, we thank you for her example. We thank you for the faith that she demonstrates, being all in, even though she did not clearly see you or feel you. God, in such a way, let us live our lives with an all-in faith. God, help us to trust you. Help us to remember your story. Help us to participate in your story. And God, help us to share your story. God, we need you and we love you. Amen.